0: Hello, my name is David Lessner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at creekwoodumc.com or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Ways, but the scripture passage
1: today, as uh, John addressing this, this crowd, so it's from Luke chapter 3, verse 7 through 14, it says, John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. This is the word of God for all of God's people. Let us say, Thanks be to God. Let's stand up and sing. I want to just lead with a moment of vulnerability um, here for something I've always really wanted to do. I think most people describe me, and if you knew new here, maybe you don't know, I'm just a pretty even-keeled guy, I don't really get too high, don't really get too low. I think um, the biggest compliment I've ever received as a leader is that I lead with grace and I lead with forgiveness. And so um, knowing that, the one thing I've always really wanted to do is lead off a sermon with the expression, You brood of vipers. I think, I don't think, like, I think if I yelled that at y'all, like, most people would probably just laugh and let it roll off. Like, it would be a joke, but um, I, I really, like, even reading it now or hearing there was a woman who read it at 830 and she had, like, the thickest southern accents you could ever, like, you brood of vipers, you sweet things. Uh, like, I don't know how that would go, and I don't know how y'all would react as well if, like, this. Because as somebody who speaks and as someone who teaches, as soon as I throw out you brood of vipers, I have completely alienated you by placing myself in a, seat, in a in a kind of throne of power over you as you are worthless. You're poisoning the living water well, if you will, by being vipers they their poisonous fangs. But as a listener, like I have never experienced or seen anybody who has really devoutly listened to somebody who led off with an insult. It's not usually the greatest way to start a presentation, but here John the Baptist is leading off with, you brood of vipers. But the thing I want us to consider, knowing, and I'll show you the pictures here in a little bit, of knowing where John is speaking and the, the terrain John is speaking from in the wilderness by the Jordan River, that everybody who was there listening that day chose to be there. They had the freedom to be there. They went over mountains to be there. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, we choose to be here, will we be receptive in the way that they were receptive back in that day. Will we ask, what can we do when we hear, you brood of vipers? Or will we just be insulted when we hear, you brood of vipers? And don't worry, I'm not going to call you brood of vipers often here. Because the baptismal vow we're talking about last week was, do you reject the powers of evil? Do you repent of your sin? Do you seek to live in harmony with, with you know, Christ's understanding, the Christ's salvation? The baptismal vow we're talking about today is the second one that we would ask. And it's, um, do you— uh, I'm going to read it because I always read it from my book. I want to get it right. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever ways they present themselves? And so the first is asking, do you reject it? But there's another step in there of, do you resist it? Do you accept the freedom God gives you? Do you choose to be here and do you choose to respond to go and actively resist in the world? And I think that understanding who John the Baptist is a little bit more can help us to understand what he's asking in this situation from the crowd and from us today. Because normally, I think, we think of John the Baptist, or you've been taught about John the Baptist. All we really get is this fiery guy. You heard about the camel hair and the locust last week who yells at people and says, you brood uh, vipers. And he's this wild, crazy, like, goat man who lives out in the the wilderness. But uh, John is— descendant of a little bit more of noble, I guess, blood than that. Uh, one of the things we learned about John, you heard about last week, is he's part of this miraculous immaculate conception where the Holy Spirit, um, you know, the angel comes to Mary and says she's pregnant with Jesus. But she goes to her cousin Elizabeth, who finds out that even in their kind of advanced age, she is now pregnant. And, and John stirs inside of her when he's close to the womb of where Jesus is. And, and you know something special about this guy who's about to be born of Elizabeth and Zachariah. But there's a detail in between Luke 1 and that story and Luke 3 where John the Baptist starts his ministry in the wilderness that gets um, a little, you know, there's a detail that gets missed in that um, Zechariah, the dad of John the Baptist, is part of the priestly system. He is a priest, not the high priest, but he's a priest who is allowed twice a year into the Holy of Holies to burn incense, cleanse the temple, offer sacrifices to God. He's a Levite in the the lineage of Aaron, Moses' brother. I mean, he is part of the religious establishment in a thick way that John and Jesus would come to speak out against, that would would call poisonous, the, the vipers, to the living well of water. And John's mom, Elizabeth, it says very distinctly in Luke chapter 1 that she was from a priestly family as well. And and so John is coming from this kind of lineage where he could have inherited this priestly role or he could have adopted a very uh, prominent role within the temple system and within the, the Jewish sacrificial system. But by Luke 3, he is preaching out in the wilderness, which means he has rejected the system of his parents. He's rejected the flaccid sacrificial system of the Jewish people, that they have abided by, and what he says is, you know, you you rely on this language of, well, we're sons of Abraham, and so we don't have to do anything. One of my favorite depictions of John the Baptist is from this book by Christopher Moore. It's a fictional, humorous account of Jesus's childhood. It's called The Gospel According to Christ's Childhood, pal Biff, and um, when Jesus is walking to Sepphoris with his dad every day to go to work, and um, his cousin John is kind of in his preteen angst, grabbing random kids and stuffing their faces in mud puddles and yelling, repent, repent, over and over again. And it's this depiction of this wild, crazy guy who's perhaps rejected normal, civilized society, who's out in the wilderness yelling at people and slamming them underwater. But there's different religious groups that exist in the, in the first century. And so the, the people that John kind of rejected... Um, Outright, would have been the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees would have been that upper crust elite of society. You inherited your role as a Sadducee through basically. hereditary lineage, and you had to be wealthy to be in this hereditary lineage in the first place. And the Sadducees were people who, they believed that you take the first five books of the Bible, it's called the Torah, the Law, and that is the Word of God. There is no interpretation, there is no extrapolation, there is no oral tradition add-on to that. It is the first five books of the Bible, no ifs, and buts, or about it. And that is everything that God has said about that. Now, they didn't get along very well with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were kind of the liberals of the group. They, uh, understood, they uh, understood the Torah to be more of a flexible thing, because the prophets had come along and said, well, this is how this applies in this situation. This is how it applies in this situation. So the Pharisees taught things like, when the Messiah comes, the dead will be resurrected, which the Sadducees totally thought was abysmal and um, a teaching to teaching to practice. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees were Often times at odds with each other. And in Matthew, when John is speaking to the crowd, it specifically names, when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees, he yelled, you brood of vipers. Because what John felt these two groups were doing was poisoning the well of living water by sticking with this, well, we're in the covenant of Abraham. And that was the covenant in Genesis 12 when God comes to Abraham and says, Uh, you'll have descendants as numerous as the stars. I'm going to give you a land. Um, You will be uh, in this, you know, I'll I'll be your God and you will be my people and I will be with you forever. And so their understanding is that, well, we just have to kind of sit back. God's going to do all the work and we just have to receive. And in doing that, I don't know if you've ever been in a position of receiving without serving or receiving without paying or receiving without anything. Once you get used to that, you just get used to that. And you get used to receiving and receiving and everything kind of becomes centered around you. And so the Pharisees, Sadducees, religious system had become centered around them. And the Pharisees, even in their interpretation of the Torah, conveniently interpreted it so that the law and the structure benefited them. But there was a third group. The third group was a group called the Essenes. And the Essenes lived here in Qumran. It was a wonderful vacation destination out in the middle of nowhere. Um, as you can see, I added some mileage on there. And that is the Google Map mileage from the Qumran National, or Qumran National Park to Jerusalem, Jericho, and the traditional baptism site of Jesus. If you take off about—if you add about 10 miles, you actually get to the actual city that would have existed because that's to the suburbs of Jerusalem or Jericho or right outside the baptismal site. And so Qumran is this place in the middle of nowhere where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the caves. You can kind of see beyond that. And even the Essenes in kind of folklore are this, again, this kind of wild aesthetic group out in the middle of the wilderness. They're crazy people. Um, and John is said to have lived with them for at least two years. It took three years to be a full-fledged member of the Essene community. Um, and John is said to have lived with them for at least two years and potentially left um, for uh, differences of opinion that we'll get into here in a little bit. And the Essenes were a third-tier community that rejected the religion a religious practice and understanding of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the regular temple system. And to say how wild and crazy they were, they had these really dangerous beliefs. They had this um, they had a papyrus scroll that's called the the rule of life or essentially the book of life that they had all of their community rules from and they do really dangerous stuff like you're not allowed to carry weapons unless you're um, protecting yourself from robbers along the street. They're a non-violent community. Um, They have these other dangerous rules, like you have to eat together, and instead of serving yourself, you have to serve somebody else when you do those things. They have more dangerous rules, like you're not allowed to have your own personal bank account, you have to carry the communal person, you have to help anybody in need that you meet along the road. Really dangerous, wild people slamming young children's faces into the mud puddles and yelling, repent. Repent. Right, this community that John's coming out of, when we picture him as this fire and brimstone, repent, you brood of vipers kind of preacher, he's bringing with him this culture of the Essenes, which is promoting these kind of civility of peace and harmony. He's promoting this idea of sharing and generosity. Even the responses he gives when the crowd or the soldiers or the tax collectors are asking, what can we do, right? They're kind of freaked out by this. There's something different out there. And they ask, well, what can we do? And all of John's answers are economic in nature. If you have two coats... Share one. It's what he's been practicing in the Essene community. If you are a tax collector, tax collectors would go and they would collect taxes for the Roman government. They were pretty much the worst people in the world, according to the Jewish people at that time. And what they would do is if you had a tax, dollar, tax bill of, like, say, $10, they'd go and they would just charge 15 And they'd pocket the five, give the ten to Caesar, and call it a day. And they were loading, you know, lining their pockets. And, um, and if you didn't pay the extra five, well, then they would report you and you'd go to prison. And so John tells them, well, you know what I learned in this community? It's much better if we are honest with each other. If we allow everyone to have the freedom to use their finances to do good in the world. And we're not cheating each other. The soldiers asked, well, what can we do? And soldiers at that time, and even still today in various parts of the world, would stop people on the side of the road and basically, like, we'll either put you in jail or kill you if you don't give us a bribe right now. They would extort people for money. He tells the soldiers, don't use your power in a negative way. All of what John is speaking here to the people who are poisoning the water well is built out of this community that is one of kind of... uh, giving away your power. And they would even do this thing before they would go eat. They would study scripture, they would copy scripture, and before they would eat, they would three times a day go through this ritual purification process. And you'll find these ritual baths all over Israel. They're uh, the pools of Bethsaida where Jesus healed people. They're right outside the temple. They're all over the place. But they um, had—John and the Essenes are probably the most baptized people in the history of the world. Because every time they had to go, every time they went to dinner, they would walk down the left side, and they'd get in the pool, and they would wash themselves clean, and then they'd come up the other side, and then they would go to eat. Because eating was this sacred time for them when they were serving each other, and they were kind of the model of the kingdom of God, the model of perfection life, where we're sharing with each other, where everyone is fed, where everybody has enough, and going through the baptismal process, going through the washing, cleansing process was not just making sure that you're not going to spread COVID to somebody. It was going through and washing away your pride. It was washing away your ego. It was ritual cleansing of your sin so that you were humble enough to sit in a place where the kingdom of heaven could be realized. So John is... Um, thought to be a member of this community and this is the the solutions he's bringing out here but there's the difference one thing that I think we need to notice is that John is no longer at Qumran when he's giving these lessons John had rejected his parents' form of religion that was stuck inside of the temple and it was stuck inside of the synagogue and it was for the benefit of the people in those places. It was only for the benefit of the Jewish people and he had rejected that in favor of the Essene community which was this model of love and peace, harmony, all the things that Jesus would go on to talk about but you had to be three years in there to really benefit from it. They were sharing, they were caring, they were generous but only within their context. And where we pick up with John's story, when he is sharing these economic advice of generosity, when he is calling people a brood of vipers and and telling them to repent to a different way of life, he is out in the wilderness. And there's a big deal, I think, between Matthew, who is very concerned with the Jewish way of life, and Luke, who is very concerned about the Gentile and expanding the kingdom of God way of life, that Luke doesn't mention the Pharisees and Sadducees. He just says the crowd came. And the crowd includes soldiers and includes tax collectors. It includes people like you and me, this big crowd came to hear what John said, because it's opening up not only the love of God, not only the baptism of God and the uniting of all people in God's kingdom, it's opening up the responsibility of the people of God in God's kingdom. Because now John isn't just looking at the religious elite in Matthew and saying, you've got to shape up and do these things. God is looking at people like you and me and saying, you need to repent and do something different. And he had seen that within the Essene community. He had seen a different way of life. But even that way of life had become exclusive. And they were in this cave system. They were in this separate community because they had rejected the spiritual forces of wickedness. They had rejected the evil powers of this world. But they weren't really doing anything about it. And John strikes out into the wilderness To be that voice calling from the wilderness to prepare the way for the Messiah who is coming to do something about it. But giving us the instructions that it's not enough just to reject the evil powers of this world and reject the the forces of darkness and, and wickedness. But we're called to freely accept the responsibility to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever ways they present themselves. And what I'm so admired by the soldiers and the tax collectors and the crowd in Luke chapter 3 is that they recognize that the spiritual forces of wickedness, and the, the, the systems of the oppression, injustice, those forms, that those are inside of themselves. They don't hear you brood of vipers and turn over their corner and find the next person. They hear this and they accept that they are part of this world. That they are part of the sin of the world. And they understand that there is a vision of a better world. And we'll see this personified in Jesus. We see it in the law, in Deuteronomy given to us. We see it in lots of different ways that the prophets speak about this better way where we are generous with each other. We are caring for each other. We don't lord our power over each other, but we honestly love each other and we share with each other because we freely and choose to love each other. And I'm so admiring of these three groups of people that say, yeah, I might be part of the problem. Because I have two coats, and my neighbor doesn't have one. And I've got plenty of food, but my neighbor doesn't have any. And I've got all the power in the world, but guy down the road, he sure doesn't. One of the more profound experiences I've ever had, kind of spiritual, uh, spiritual transformation-wise, was, um, have you all ever heard of an event called See You at the Pole? It's a, I think it's sponsored by FCA. I don't even know if it still happens anymore. But when I was in youth ministry in Atlanta, um, it happened. And it happened at Lakeside High School. And it was usually like a really big deal. And so I would go in the morning um, way before I wanted to wake up and go to a high school. And we'd be outside of the flagpole. And so the thing was, you meet at the flagpole and you all pray that day. And at Lakeside High School, there would be like 300 or 400 students that would come and pray. Like, and I hear those numbers, and I think, oh my gosh, this is an amazing transformation. It's this amazing witness. And, and so we'd all be there, and it was enough to have a PA system, and there were donuts because they wanted to bribe the kids to come pray, kind of like we bribe you to come to church with the donuts in the back. And, uh, and so we're all there eating donuts. We're gathered around, and we invite our, you know, invite our heads to bow and to pray. And, and I hate to say it this way, but it's kind of a vanilla, you know, prayer. It's We pray for safety within schools. We pray for focus for our kids. We pray that they reject the spiritual forces of everything that belongs to becoming a teenager. Um, You know, we we pray that God will fill the halls of the school and and move in a great way. And um, and it was cool. It was it was a neat experience. But what was so transformational about it was what I found out afterward is that um, because Lakeside High School was in a really kind of unique situation, the the best kind of Collin County experience I can related to is McKinney High School, or maybe Plano East, or possibly Allen, because there's only one high school. Um, But Lakeside um, primarily was driven by the population of the Oak Grove neighborhood, which was where I served in ministry, and it was a highly affluent area. Um, And then right across Briarcliff was the other side of the tracks. And it wasn't like a drop-off, but it was a pretty deep drop-off in terms of economic welfare. And so we were all praying, and what I was told later on by Uh, One of the leaders who I think was getting bored by the prayer uh, was he opened his eyes and he saw about like, I don't know, somewhere between 8 to 12 kids who kind of wiggled their way through the crowd because some of their friends were starting to come to school that day. And one of their friends had been riding this beat-up bicycle that he'd had for about six years, was way too big for him and it had finally worn out and the tire was flat. And he was carrying his bicycle, his athletic bag, his book bag, and his lunchbox all at the same time, and he just needed some help. And at the same moment there was a girl that we found out had um, her boyfriend had literally broken up with her in the parking lot that morning and she's walking in feeling rejected trying to hide the tears from the rejection of this person she cared so much about wondering if anybody in the world loved her and some of these kids saw that she needed christ in her life at that moment there was another situation apparently where a, a kid who was like a sophomore a junior um, only owned one pair of shoes and the left shoe he was walking kind of doing this because every time he actually went heel to toe it would show that the sole was popping off and you could see his left heel exposed and he was embarrassed by that and apparently one of our kids had extra basketball shoes in his bag and went over and gave him his air jordans or whatever they were to hide the shame for at least a day while 300 or 400 christians were praying around a flagpole with our eyes bowed looking at the ground over in the parking lot was a kid who was getting pushed around and bullied until about eight of our kids went over there and did something about it it was such a profound moment for all of us who were praying and rejecting the evil forces of wickedness and darkness in our minds It was such a profound experience to see some kids take the freedom and responsibility God gives them to do something about that. To take their faith and see where their faith is in action. To get out of the cave. To get out of the temple even. And to take the faith that they learned from those places and put it in action in the wilderness where people are hungry and people are thirsty. And people are looking for living water like the woman in in, in John 4 who is at the well. I mean, this is the inspiration. I was so inspired by these kids. I'm inspired by the people who who hear this message and they choose that we need to do something about this. And this is where stewardship comes in. Stewardship comes in from the standpoint of not only what we do with our money, but what we do with our time, what we do with our lives, what we do with our souls. What are we doing when we speak about our faith? I mean, in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus kind of warns against the Pharisees. I mean, again, Matthew's really concerned about the Pharisees. He warns against the Pharisees and says, they get out in in the streets And they stand around flagpoles, and they say lots of words, and there are lots of glorious words that everybody can look at them, and they can know that they're rejecting the evil powers of this world, but they don't end up doing anything about it. And most of the Sermon on the Mount is, pray in your prayer closet, but live in this world. And with our stewardship, when we refocus ourselves, when we remember our baptism, when we remember that we have the freedom and power that God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever ways that presents themselves, oftentimes we can think of, well, we need to be a crazy man in the wilderness who's shouting crazy things. And most often it looks like John saying, if you've got two coats, share one. If you've got enough food, share that. If you've got power, share that. Be a community that exemplifies what it looks like to love each other freely, not under compulsion— but freely, because you are willing to walk down the stairs into the baptism and rise up again, something new, something different, something better. And what I found, it's kind of like John mentions to these people, a lot of our answers are economic. Because when Jesus talks in Matthew 6 about where your treasure is, there your heart lies also, one of the things that's often a stumbling block to our faith is how much it costs. And I'm not talking about air conditioning costs or building costs or landscaping costs. I'm talking about the inconvenience of what it takes to be a person who wants to follow Christ. Because often, I'm just too tired. Often, I don't think I'm good enough. Often, I'd rather go on vacation. Often, I'd like to buy a boat what john leads jesus into and what jesus fulfills and really is the personification of is this humble love we see in philippians chapter 2 where jesus could have sat on high as god and just ruled on high and stayed in the cave and led us to our own devices But the mind of Christ is one of humility that says I'm going to be in the thick of things and I'm going to pledge myself for the good of those around us. So I know when I fill out like a pledge card, I am filling out that pledge card not just for a, you know what, the youth ministry costs this much and I really care about the youth ministry so I'm going to put those dollars down. When I fill out a pledge card and I turn it in, I'm saying that I am releasing my greed, my power, my ego, my sin, and all of those things. And I'm turning it over to all of y'all to hold in community together so that I can willingly and freely be in love with God with all of you together. Because that is something that looks different from the normal world that exists by greed and ego and pride. Remember, I asked you to consider that everyone who heard that they were a brood of vipers chose to be there that day. The question I guess I have going through the Gospels is whether they chose to do anything about it. Now, do I think you're a brood of vipers? No, I don't think you're a brood of vipers. But I do think we all need to ask the question, are we choosing to listen? Let's pray. Gracious God, we humbly come before you to... um, accept the freedom and power that you have given us to shape this world to be more of your kingdom and less of our own. We so appreciate and enjoy the blessings that we have given. We call them blessings, but Lord, when we see our neighbor hungry and we see our neighbor hurting, when we see our neighbor lonely, are they blessings or are they curses? Do they keep us apart from your kingdom? Do they keep us apart from you? And so, God, may we challenge ourselves to get out of our caves and to spread your good news throughout the world through both our rejection of the evil but also our acceptance that we can resist the evil. And so, God, put on our hearts kindness and compassion, mercy, so we might see the world the way that you do. And it's in your son's name we pray.
0: Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at CreekwoodUMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.